two, one. <laughs> We're trying to get creative on you. Okay. Well, welcome to our next episode of Up, Up for, for Discussion. Da-da-da-da. Oh, yeah. We forgot our musical background that we haven't had yet. So... Anyway, well, last time we were with you from um, a relative's house in Alabama. We're back in our studio now, and we um, are excited about this conversation that we're going to have. And we are taking a lot of what we're going to share with you today from our book, Rise. And it is a reformer's handbook for the Seven Mountains and... Depending on when you're watching this, it is currently out of print. It will be back in print. This is the one book we will definitely have for years to come, but we think we're changing printers, etc. So here's how you can access the information that is in this book. We also have it as a PDF download on our website, restore7.org. So you can read it on your Kindle or on your computer. We also have it as a course. So Johnny and I have filmed ourselves reading through basically this entire book, almost like a script. And um, it happened to come out seven hours and seven minutes, not planned, but it just what it came out crazy. Yeah. And then um, you can access that course by going to rise seven, the number seven dot org, rise seven dot org. And somewhere on that page, you'll be able to find a, a link to go and purchase the RISE course. Um, and was there anything else I was going to talk well, about? Well, so the, the topic, we're, we're obviously not going to cover the whole book because that's seven hours, and seven minutes in a quick way. So we want to cover our topic is really um, about reformers. What did we call it? How to be a reformer? What was our title? It is something like that about being a reformer. <laughs> Well, what, what does it look like to be a reformer? And, and what are some of the essentials is how we describe it here in the book. In chapter one, we call it living your purpose. And so what we want to do is briefly hit on seven primary things to keep in mind when you are doing what you were created to do, which is change the world. Um, the reason why we even have to have these seven points is because these to us are... These distinguish us from, let's say, maybe a typical Christian mentality. Um, for example, maybe a typical Christian mentality is to just focus on going to church and being good. Well, you're going to find in these seven things that we talk about that it's so much more than that. And so we're going to just take turns going back and forth, making comments. Again, if you want to delve into this, much deeper, we encourage you to get the course. The course does come with the PDF download, or if you don't want the course and you want only the PDF download, you can do it that way. But we're gonna, we're gonna extract from the book as opposed to reading from the book. And one of the first things I wanna talk about just as we introduce these essentials for reformers, yeah, I think that's what we were talking about, is you know an understanding of a reformer. And we know Everything about the Seven Mountain message, the Seven Mountain mandate, this message is a, a something kind of new from a lot of the body of Christ. It's a paradigm change. Uh, it's a shifting of perspective. And so um, we're used to people wanting to be revivalists, and there's nothing wrong with revivalists. 
but I want to I want to kind of juxtapose a reformer versus a revivalist, and um, not saying a reformer is better than a revivalist, not saying reformation is better than revival. There's a way they work together, but it's been a missing piece of the puzzle for sure. It's missing kingdom dynamic that we are uh, very much about restoring, kind of echoing an expanded narrative of the kingdom of God on earth. So, for instance, if revival is about people uh, getting saved and crusades, uh, I think another way I say it is kind of revival is what happens in our free time, and that would be nights and weekends and church meetings. It's kind of things that happen on the mountain of religion, if you think through the seven mountain grid that we always bringing up. And so revival is what happens there, and it can in some way work its way into society. Um, well, the effects of it, if people are getting saved and excited and touched by God or the Holy Spirit or whatever, in some secondary way, it does impact society. Reformation and a reformer are about the nine-to-five life, the nine-to-five world. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth in his first message. You are the light of the world. And so this is an understanding that we have to bring his presence, his solutions. Ultimately, anything that's deformed needs to be reformed. Anything that's representing a twisted perspective, a distorted image of God, we have to be about reforming it so that it represents the image of God um, moving forward. And so just get that, pers that, that perspective. The nine to five world, so let your light shine before men, not just in the four walls of the church. So think of, of our representation of the kingdom of God outside the four walls of the church as being a primary way we show um, what we call reformation and being reformers. Would you also say that I, um, revivalists maybe are more focused on souls and individuals, whereas um, a reformer, of course, cares about souls and individuals. You can't follow Christ and not care. But a reformer is perhaps more widely focused on the systems that actually affect individuals and souls. Well said. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's the way the kingdom functions and operates. And so it's not just about people raising their hand and getting saved. It's about every system, every sphere, every mountain of society representing the king's better way of doing things. Yeah. Awesome. Well, and at the end, we want to take just a couple minutes to pray over you. And so my prayer, even just starting off with, with us sharing out of, out of this, is that this continues to wake up in you a very personal um, knowing and understanding of why God specifically put you here at this time and place in history. Because what we're going to talk about you can take it and overlay it over whatever specific areas you carry influence and passion for changing. The things that make you so mad, you just wish if you could change this one thing, you would change it. Or the things that give you so much life that if you could just spend your whole life doing it, this becomes kind of like a, you know, a, a, 
a way to get, get clarity on how do you personally show up in that area? So I think another way to call it is those, uh, those who want to be reformers, change agents. There's some that speak into that language. I think it's a lot of overlap, a lot of the same idea being change agents. That would be as opposed to just being those who are for transactional experiences where people say yes to a future with Jesus. And, and so that's, that's where we're going to go. So I think, Elizabeth, we're going to go ahead. We're going to just take a few minutes because there's seven of them. And just to give you an idea, but we want it all just kind of to funnel into what we're just saying that we're establishing about a reformer. It's, it's a call that 100% of us have. There's no such thing as secular Christianity. So there's no such thing as, well, that's not really for me. I wonder who this could be for. If you're here, if you're listening, this is for you. This is how we're all called to show up in society. It's why Jesus said to the entirety of his first crowd, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. This wasn't niching ministry and church or anything like that. So number one, a reformer must understand the seven mountain mandate, fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. Now again, seven mountain mandate is it's, it's another uh, expression terminology for the kingdom mandate, okay? But it really, it lands it a little a little better. It's like, okay, the kingdom has to show up in media, economy, government, education, family, arts, and entertainment, as well as the mountain of religion. So uh, a mandate is a command or an authorization given by a political electorate to its representatives. In the context of the seven mountains, the mandate we were given by God is to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as his representatives, ones who were made in his image, it is both our privilege and our assignment. Mm -hmm. So it is it is both. And so the end game, when we say to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God, we connect that to what the prophet Habakkuk said, mm -hmm. Habakkuk 2.14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. For many years, for decades, that was just like, well, that's a cool sounding scripture. Yeah, everybody needs to know Jesus saves, but that's not what it says. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. So think, a reformer is going to think of the nuanced knowledge of God, God in government, God in education, God in the economy, God in arts and entertainment. And according to your call and your wiring, your assignment then becomes to carry that aspect of who he is, that light of his, mm -hmm. um, into, into society itself. So... A uh, quick comment on that. Um, maybe you could, in just a second, you could tell them where the term mountain comes from. Because some of you, you know, you want to share this with other people and you talk about, oh, yeah, there's this teaching on the seven mountains. And then somebody asks you, you know, the mountains, is that even biblical? He's going to tell you in just a moment why it's biblical. But I just want to say it connects to um, the knowledge of God in terms of like how we each know him. And I think one of the ways that the enemy robs each one of us is he gets us comparing our relationship with God to other people's relationship with God. I even struggle with that sometimes. I think of Johnny and other people that they just seem at times closer to God than I feel like I am or the impact that I'm having. And and I realize when I re-root myself in the truth is that I know an aspect of my father that he created me specifically to know. Right. And there may be other people that know that aspect of him too, but will they showcase and 
you know, mirror that image of him the way that I would? No, because every single one of us are unique. So don't underestimate the knowledge of God that you have. And usually it comes in the places where you've been the most warred against. Maybe the areas that you've even had the most doubt about him in, because the enemy so doesn't want you to own the knowledge of God that you were created to own. And so when we talk about advancing the kingdom of God, filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God, we're, we're actually talking about replacing lies with the truth. And so the same way that you have had to replace lies in your own heart about who God is, we're doing that collectively right. as the body of Christ, as reformers in these areas of culture. We are recognizing areas of culture that, that perpetuate a lie about who God is. And we're replacing it with the truth. For example, if you are called to the mountain of economy and you have a business um, and, you know, all the business thoughts around you are you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to produce this amount of profit. Well, guess what? Jesus always did things the most unlikely ways and he continues to. Holy Spirit can lead you into what does obedience for you in business look like that will translate into profit and profit not just being the bottom line money, but how you're actually serving and helping people. Yeah, and what's good is in the rest of this book is we go in chapter by chapter, which is mountain by mountain, and go a little more specific. Elizabeth is just mentioning a little bit of the mountain of economy, so you get an idea if this is totally new to you. But the specific term mountain, and then we'll move on from, from number one. The specific term mountain comes from Revelation 17, 9. Um, Here is the mind which has wisdom, the seven heads or seven mountains on which the woman sits. Well, to find out who the woman is, earlier in the same chapter, it refers to the woman as Babylon or the harlot system. Um, that it says all the kings of the earth have gone into harlotry with. So it, we understand it to represent Satan, his principalities, their demonic system. Um, that come against the seven mountains of culture in every nation with a seven-pronged attack. So the enemy has a seven-pronged strategy. He doesn't just go after us individually. In fact, most of his strategy is to go after the systems of the seven mountains. Um, we have other scriptures that kind of give the same idea. Proverbs 9, uh, if you read 1 through 3, it talks about wisdom has built her house. She has hewn it out on seven pillars. She has hewn out her seven pillars, depending on what version of the Bible you have, and cries out from the high places of the city. So wisdom is a term for the Holy Spirit who is building the kingdom of God on earth on the seven pillars or seven mountains of society. So when we're talking about the seven mountain mandate, it's about those areas of society, those spheres of society, where each one of us brings who he has made us to be. All believers show up to their nine to five world, we'll put it that way, and we know we're there on purpose. We're there as ministers. We're not there as seculars. And we're there to carry who he is, his solutions, his presence, and be, bring change, bring transformation, bring reformation in that kind of way. So number two, Elizabeth. So we've established that this is all about the knowledge of God. Um, we know from 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 that our battle is a battle of knowledge because it says we cast down arguments and every high thing that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. Then we know in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, he gives us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge 
of him, of Christ, why is the knowledge of God so important? Like, what's the big deal? I That leads us into the second point. Yeah. Um, a reformer must understand how authority over the seven mountains, that is biblical, how authority over the seven areas of culture was lost and regained. So if it's all about the knowledge of God, then we understand that um, the enemy comes against the thing that it's all about, right? So that's why he sows these lies about God. The point is the enemy doesn't want us to know the real him. He doesn't want us to know God Mm -hmm. because he wants us to reject God or even think that God couldn't possibly exist. And if he does, he's not good. He's not a good father. He doesn't care. And we're left for ourselves, so we got to do these areas of culture ourselves. Well, it all goes back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, and they lost authority over the thing that mattered the most. These areas of culture that we were meant to experience the knowledge of who Mm -hmm. and how God is. And so it was a very big deal when Jesus regained um, the, the authority back over these areas of culture. I'll let you take it from here. Well, and he regained it through the blood that was shed. It had to be a perfect lamb. If you remember the the parallel understanding of that from the New Testament, I mean, from the Old Testament, from the sacrificial process and how the, the Passover lamb, and so Jesus was the Passover lamb. He was pure and spotless. He lived to age 30 sinlessly, and so his blood could now provide the atonement necessary that's why then after he raised from the dead, he went to his disciples and Matthew called them to himself, Matthew 18, and said, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. It hadn't been that way before Adam and Eve did lose authority. They didn't lose eternity. We expect to see Adam and Eve both in heaven, uh, but they did lose authority. And so the scripture we want to refer to as well is Matthew chapter 18 and verse 11. For the Son of Man came to save that which was lost, as opposed to this, just those that were lost. That right there kind of explains a little bit of difference, Mm -hmm. the focus between a revivalist and a reformer. So revivalist is like soul, soul, souls, those that were lost, those that are lost, nothing wrong with it. But the son of man, it's an expanded, you know, it's, it's, it includes the greater includes the lesser. And, and so we want to be expanding uh, the horizons, our horizons to include the full kingdom mandate. So so what was lost, what that which was lost is the ability to correctly know the Father, because Jesus Jesus showed us who the Father is and what he's really like, and then to make him known in these areas of culture. Right on. So we get also that Matthew chapter four, known as the temptation of Christ, you know, the famous chapter mm-hmm. where he's led into the desert by Satan. He's tempted for 40 days. Uh, we understand um, once at one point, the devil takes Jesus up to a high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory or their authority, uh, depending what version of the Bible and how, how you read it. But he showed him not the souls. He didn't show him the people. Satan showed him the kingdoms of this world, that word Basileia, the foundations of power. We connect it to the seven mountains and he showed, he knew, he didn't know how Jesus planned to get it back, but he knew that Jesus had to have been sent in order to regain that which was lost. And what was lost 
was authority. So this again, this is all feeding into understanding what's a reformer, what are essentials of reform thinking, this type of reform, not the reform, not, not the reformation, not the Protestant reformation, right. not uh, denominational, what they call reform, but reformation in the context, change, change the world in this kind of way. So what you just said about Jesus and his temptation in the wilderness is such a big deal because he could have tempted him with anything, but he knew enough. The enemy knew enough to know that the only thing that would maybe be a temptation for him was to have a quick pass towards the thing that mattered the most, not the souls, because the greater always includes the lesser. So the kingdoms of this world includes the souls. If you impact people's perception of who and how God is, then you actually have more influence over their um, acclamation to wanting to know God and have a relationship with him through Jesus. So the temptation was not for the souls. It was for the influence over the kingdom. The kingdom is the domain of the king, the way the king does yeah. things. The king's way of doing things. And so that's why when you finally get to the aforementioned um, Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go therefore make disciples of all nations. And so we have taken that as go and get all souls saved, but it went beyond that. It is discipling them because the kingdom is a discipleship into the way the king does things. And there's the way he does things in government. There's the way he does things in the economy, the way he does things in media. Those are things that are broken down in chapters, but that's what we want to begin to understand in our thinking of being reformers, being called to be part of this reformation mandate, the seven mountain mandate, the kingdom mandate, all terms for, for the exact same thing. And so we want to begin to connect to a God who, who sees cities and nations the way we look at individuals. Uh, he, you know, there's a passage where he calls Israel his firstborn. He calls a whole nation his firstborn. We understand all his prophets gave prophecies to entire nations. Um, um, that was cities or nations, and often usually they were city nations as well. And it tells us Jesus, you know, when he wept in uh, Luke 13, 34, he wept, his cry was, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. You didn't know, you know, he's weeping over a city. And more than you trying to understand and comprehend how you how do you do that, it's just know that he looks at cities and nations the way we might look at a soul, and he can see it and love it in that kind of way. The capacity for the, both. And he's made us in his image, so we have we the have capacity it. for both. We just, because we haven't been exposed to it, it's like that muscle, uh, it's like an unused muscle, but... We've been exposed to that a good bit the last 15, 20 years, thinking that way strongly. So it is now much easier for us to see a city or a nation and consider that way. Okay. All right. We got to go to number three. We've established the importance of filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God, just how good he is in these nuanced ways. Then we talked about the, um, how important it is to understand the authority that was lost has been regained. Jesus has done it, and now he says, take it from here. <laughs> and obviously we don't, we can't, won't do it without him. Um, and the third, a reformer must understand the gospel of the kingdom versus the gospel of salvation, which we've already kind of uh, danced around that a little bit, but what what, do you, I, what would you like I, to I, highlight out of that? You're right. Um, we have 
essentially explain that in some way. We'll just add another terminology, different ways of looking at. Yeah. Um, so the gospel of salvation is essentially understanding Jesus is Savior. So we present him as Savior to the world. Super valuable, a great thing. The gospel of the kingdom is presenting him as king or Lord. And so this is, this is another level. You know, even for yourself, think of it. Well, he's my Savior, but is he your Lord? Is that who you serve? Is that who you live for nine to five? That's a different, that's a different conversation. It's an expanded conversation mm -hmm. to have. And so that connects to that original messaging of Jesus in Matthew 5, 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The salt doesn't show up. It is good for nothing but to be trampled upon and cast out. The light doesn't show up. Darkness will prevail. So, you know, the churches and denominations that believe that People should stay out of the church. Their church should stay out of government because it's corrupt. It's, it's evil. Well, you become a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you don't show up with light, if you don't show up with salt of his kingdom, his way of doing things, then all that can prosper there is that which is anti the kingdom of God. And so that's, that's, what, we, that's what we see. So, so tying back into just, you know, where, where you are personally, I think sometimes when we feel maybe a little disconnected from God, sometimes it's because we are so focused on what he's given our hands to do and the fruit of our lives that we feel like, oh, I haven't had enough time in the word or enough time in worship or like I don't have enough just plain downtime where I just can like easily readily feel him, you know, and all of that is important. You don't ever want to like sub that out to someone else as if you could. Right. But, but if you understand that he is in the streets, he is in your office, yes. he is in your home, he is in your place of trade and work, places of service, he's there. He is there, if not at least even more than he is in the four walls of our churches. Yeah. And just because you don't feel him there the same way that you feel him when you're, you know, in a worship set at your church or listening while you're driving your car, it doesn't mean that he's not like there and proud of you and pleased to partner with you in those moments where it's you're having to make hard, tough decisions and do the mundane things in your home. And he's there. That is kingdom. Yeah. And, you know, if you think back about Jesus's life, he, it was always other people, not him. It was other people that were constantly questioning who he was. Are you really the son of God? Or he didn't spend his life initiating conversation about how he was the son of God. He didn't spend his life initiating conversation about how um, important it is to believe in him as savior. He did establish those things. He did say those things. But what he spent his intentional focus teaching about was the kingdom of God. Over and over and over again, parables, stories, um, examples, teachings. It was always over and over again about the kingdom of God. And this one scripture here just says it all. Uh, Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. It didn't say, you know, and 
this gospel of salvation, right. Jesus as Savior will be preached in the whole world, and then all the end will come. It literally yeah. says the kingdom. So one phrase I wanted to read out of here that I think is so important, the gospel of the kingdom does not dis- diminish the gospel of salvation. It includes it. So it's not that when we yeah. we advance the kingdom of God, we're just setting on the burner, you know, yeah. to the side, the gospel of salvation. They come together, but it's a more holistic approach to everything you do and everything you bring your relationship with Jesus into. That's really good. And this this paragraph is so good. I think I might I'm going to read a lot of it. All right. And it goes with and then we I know we got to move on to the next one. Realistically, when we talk about on earth as it is in heaven, because that was part of Jesus' first message as well, you know, pray your kingdom come. When we talk about on earth as it is in heaven, we need to recognize that God doesn't have periodic meetings in heaven where he asks for every head to be bowed and leads people in the sinner's prayer. So the kingdom coming to earth is not about salvations. It's about the functionality of the kingdom and the institutions of heaven. The kingdom is the rule and reign of heaven, and so the mission is to manifest the rule and reign of heaven on earth to showcase heaven's better institutions. Heaven is not just a place filled with happy people, but a place filled with happy institutions. The seven mountains on earth also exist in heaven. Media is about communication. Family is about relationships. Arts and entertainment about beauty and fun. Economy about provision. Religion is about worship. Education about learning. And government we will reign with him. These are the seven primary spheres or structures of society in every nation. Jesus' prayer was that heaven's model of these structures would come manifest on earth as it is in heaven. This is absolutely going to happen because Jesus' prayer was also a declaration will not go unanswered. All right, let's go to number four. All right, a reformer must understand influence versus dominionism. So, you know, one of the things that... um, some people critique about the seven mountain message is they say, oh, they're all about dominionism. dominionism and taking over the world and conquering the mountains. And, um, you know, that scares people. <laughs> and I, I understand why we, um, many Christians throughout history, in addition to being known for some good things, we also are known for some things like the crusades where we imposed So when we talk about influence versus dominionism, we're not talking about imposing. Um, One scripture I was going to highlight and then hand it over to you. Um, We do not wrestle, Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, in in other words, people, but we do wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, which are Satan and his demons. So the purpose of this wrestling is to gain domination over the demonic realm and the lies that the demonic realm is perpetuating about God through broken systems and broken people. And so it's never about taking dominion over people. And I know that um, God made it clear what the mandate was in the beginning. Yeah, and so, but that's where it comes from. That's why we do kind of, Ex, uh, you know, expand it beyond the parameters it has because we all, many people know that Genesis 1, 26, you know, 20, 28, there is, uh, I'll just read one verse. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion 
over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. So there's that word again. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on earth. So dominion, dominion, dominion is all over there. So it's like for those who argue about where that comes from, it's clearly biblical. Humanity's dominion mandate from God is clear from the book of Genesis. But notice, if you follow all those things, uh, none of them is dominion over your fellow man. So that's why we can never believe that the kingdom of God is advanced through imposition. It can only be advanced through influence. And those are the big mistakes of the Crusades and, you know, other, other eras where the kingdom, um, where the church, the representatives of the church, yeah, it was a Catholic church and the Holy Inquisition days and all that kind of stuff. It's where you're forcing conversion. You're forcing the kingdom of God does not come that way. His way of doing things all the way from the garden is through free will. And so dominion is clearly laid out as a partnership between God and man over all other forms of life or existence, including the demonic realm but not over each other in that kind of way. So we want to keep that clear in our own conversation, in our own language. Um, again, people want to brand anything. They brand the Seven Mountain Mandate, the Seven Mountain People and Teachers. And some Seven Mountain Teachers do excessively make the point of, we're going to take over. We're going to take over Hollywood. We're going to take over Wall Street. We're going to take over. Now, if in your mind, you're thinking you're going to take over from the de demonic realm, and it's because you're going to bring the influence of the king, it's okay. But it sure has to be explained quickly. We don't want to leave. Yeah, just better to stay away from that language, really, yes. honestly. Think influence, not dominant, not even dominion. Think influence, because that's what we do with people is influence. Yeah. We dominate over the demonic, over what's dark. And that's that's the balance of it all. So we all know that there are people who choose knowingly, some unknowingly, to partner literally with evil to promote darkness and to yeah. live in the dark. Yeah. And so they are the ones that blur the line between the real enemy and those that want to associate with the enemy. And so sometimes there is appropriate times to refer. I mean, scripture does it too. I mean, David says, you know, give me favor over my enemies. And he was talking about people. Um, but when it talks, when we're talking about us actually bringing change to the world, we're, we're going to bring very little change. If, if we're trying to rescue someone, we actually need them to want to be rescued by us, if that makes sense. So if you're making, even if someone has made themselves an enemy of God, how can we entreat? How can we be ministers of reconciliation that offer mercy? Um, it's different based on what area of culture you're called to. Obviously, if you're a police officer, Mercy looks real different from you than if you're called to be uh, a, a counselor or a pastor. Like there, there are certain areas of authority that you have to walk in civilly that are different than our spiritual stance as followers of Jesus. And, and sometimes it crosses over and, and melds both. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah. all of that to say, especially with our own family and friends, and those that yeah. hear our voice, it's so important that that we actually live from that truth. Right. The truth that I don't I don't have the responsibility of making you believe something. 
I'm going to live it out in front of you, hopefully in a way that is interesting and inviting to you. And I'm going to love you in a way that speaks to your heart the confidence that I have in God, your Father, in Him influencing your heart, sometimes through me and sometimes through your circumstances of your life. But I'm going to love you through your process with patience the way God is loving you through your process with his patience. And not to forget, that's the example Jesus gave us. And that's why we refer to uh, refer to this as being the biblical truth, because in the person of Jesus, we see all that over and over again. We see a God who didn't come in throwing lightning bolts all over the place, uh, who rebuked who could his, have. Yeah, he could have. He rebuked his disciples who, when he wasn't, can you imagine, the God of the universe not being accepted by a town. They said, should we call down fire like Elijah? He's like, of what spirit are you? Like, do you not see who I am? I don't come to impose. I'm not trying to make everybody cry uncle by twisting their arm enough. And so we got to not think that way as well. He was going to win through sacrifice, through surrender, through demonstration of his father's ways on earth. And so that's, Mm -hmm. that's our ticket still. It's not strong arming people, becoming the majority and imposing. Anytime we think in that grid, we have gone off, we have gone off, we have gone off the rails. So, all right, Elizabeth, number five, a reformer must understand the end times narrative and have value for our planet. I know we've been, especially you have been hitting this hard when you talk about end times-itis and this this mentality of just sitting around waiting for the rapture. I would just assume that if you are watching this, then you're you're probably already not someone that is um, sitting around waiting on the rapture. We've done a whole segment on that, a whole episode on that, so you can refer back to past ones. But is there anything in particular you would like to highlight from yeah. this section? So, you know, the end times itis virus is a condition marked by the expectation of soon coming end of world scenarios. And it's, it's believing that either the rapture, Jesus' return, a one world government, the Antichrist, Armageddon, or a whole list of cataclysmic matters, judgments is right around the corner. And so it saps us of our resolve. It, it really is the main reason why we haven't had Reformation as a point of interest, uh, a point of attention um, in the body of Christ, because there has been this thing, no, 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 Jesus is about to return. So all we do is stay in revival mode, mentality, try to get people saved because he's about to come. And we don't know unless you do the studies on it. And we have a whole section in the back here in appendix that for the last 2000 years, every single generation has lived with that planning, with, uh, with thinking he's about to return. And that was their messaging. And so they didn't give themselves to working on systems, to working on manifesting kingdom ways of doing things in every area of, of society. Um, and so we're just saying part of, you know, again, the point five was a reform must understand the end times narrative and have value for our planet. There's a whole nother message there. Value for our planet is recognizing Jesus in Matthew chapter five and the Beatitudes. Again, this is the first messaging he's giving Matthew five, six, seven, uh, all red letter, you know, and you know, it's like verse three, he says, blessed are the pure uh, in heart for they, they shall inherit the kingdom of God. They shall inherit the earth. The earth. 
excuse me, uh, yeah. mixing up the scripture. So that, that is a point, that error I just made. Why did it come so naturally? Because we start talking about, we're used to talking about inheriting the kingdom of God, but we want to know that Jesus, with his first mass crowd, before talking to them about inheriting heaven or the kingdom of, but it is the kingdom of heaven, if you understand, it's all another conversation, is talking to them about inheriting the earth. He came and his first messaging is, you know, I have all the presence and power of the king and they're designed to be relevant. He, that's why he healed them, delivered them, set them free. He, he, he showcased the kingdom. He talked about the kingdom. And so this is uh, something that a reformer must embrace. You can't really be a rapture any moment minded person and be a reformer because you're thinking too short term. You're thinking too impatiently. You're not thinking through the grid of when Jesus said, hey, occupy till I return. He didn't say speculate on when I'll return till I return, which is what we've been doing. But mm -hmm. occupy, occupy is a, a military um, a word actually used. It's like the territory, take territory. Again, if we want to say dominion, it's not over people, but we do want to take territory over the demonic realm, over darkness, wherever there's a distortion of the image of God. We want a restoration of that image uh, to come about. So, so many people, um, they say that they, where they experience their, their most profound closeness to God, where they feel closest to God is out in nature. Yeah. And I mean, to me, more than anything else, that proves the importance of preserving the earth, yeah. you know, to care about nature, care about our environment. You know, then there's all kinds of reasons to care about our our ground and our water. I mean, what we're eating is poisoning us because we have not been aware and we are waking up to it of how much um, big corporations have come in and pushed certain kinds of chemicals and just the faster way of doing things and, and trying to meet the demand of the cheapest you know, that's a whole long thing yeah. I can go into, but it it's it messes with so much of our health issues um, through water and contamination, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and so, if you're one who feels passionate about that, and you know yeah. that you're called to bring change in a big picture way to the food industry or to water, to um, you know some of the policies around that, that is. That's the kingdom. You are advancing the kingdom of God. Psalm 2, 8 says, this was, the, this was the father talking to Jesus in Psalm. He says, ask of me and I will give you, Jesus, the, the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So if the earth is of little value mm. and disposable, then why would Jesus want it? Why, why would there even be, you yeah. know, and what, what, the father was extending to Jesus. Jesus is extending to us because he got the authority so that he could give it to us. So he's yeah. asking us, ask of me the nations and I will give it to you as an inheritance. What kind of inheritance is it if it's just going to yeah. burn up or we're going to just destroy it on our own? Yeah. And there's multiple other verses we could be adding. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. When he created the earth, before he ever got to day six making man, he would say, and God saw what he created and said, it is good. good. It is very good. good. And he said that what he did. So he's creating things and it's good or very good, he says in all those kind of ways. So we have to quit thinking of the earth as something disposable. He says, 
more than once, the meek shall inherit the earth, the righteous will inherit the earth. Yeah. Inheritance is not a lease, it's not a loan, it's forever. And that's all you got to think of it that way. Inheritance is with no end. And and so we want to also, last verse uh, out of Revel, it's out of Revelation, I don't have the exact chapter and verse. He says, he will destroy those who destroy the earth. So we have to begin to value this planet in that kind of, in that so kind of way. All right, number, number six. six. All right, Elizabeth, this is going to be a good one for especially you to speak into. A reformer must understand the simplicity of living intentionality. Intentionally. I mean, li living intentionally. As soon as I said it out of my mouth, I knew that wasn't the right thing. So, Elizabeth, um, this, I think, so is this... one that you're really good at explaining as well. So run with it. Thank you. So... We started off talking about the importance of the knowledge of God and us knowing him in a way that we can make him known. The reality is that we are made in God's image and God is super intentional with us. I mean, you see it from nature to him sending Jesus and all that Jesus accomplished in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his sending the Holy Spirit. Like he's, he's a planner. Our father is a planner. He is so intentional. And, you know, our broken system of media perpetuates a specific lie about God. You know, you experience media, the news, especially the way it is now, in a way that makes you just feel like life is so random and it's just a string of one tragedy after another, one trauma after another, one, you know, strange accident after another, and you could be the one that's next. And so we, without even realizing it, have bought this agenda, this lie about our father, that he's not intentional. Well, guess what? You can't give away what you don't have. And if we begin to recognize the truth of what he's like, that he is so intentional with us, with our lives, with how he intervenes, what he will intervene in, what he won't intervene in, and how he loves us through it all. Then we understand, wow, we can be intentional back with him. And to me, that brings simplicity to all of this. It's like, okay, when I wake up in the morning, I don't I don't want to feel like I got to run back through all these scriptures of what does it mean to advance the kingdom of God and gospel of kingdom versus gospel of salvation, all that. Let, like, let's just make it really simple. So we came up with a very simple statement that's just a great one to, yeah. to kind of reorient yourself by because it brings back the simplicity of a walk with Christ. It is, I live to know the real him, to make the real him known, to learn how to be loved, and to learn to love. So any one of those four things, you can know that, in any given day, you are walking in success as a follower of Christ. If you can attach what you're doing to any one of these four things, is this a way, something that you're doing right now, whatever you're giving your energy to that day or that moment, is this something that is either helping me to know the real him? What is he really like? Not the lies that circumstances tell me, not what who religion has told me that he is, but for me personally, how do I really know him? So, you know, you're walking and giving, you're walking in success and you're giving your energy to something that is, that is truly kingdom. If it's helping, you know, the real him. Secondly, if it's something that's helping you 
make him known. Right. Is what you're doing or giving your passion to helping someone else know him by the way that you're serving them, loving them, um, equipping them, and in that just tooling them. Jump in on that point to know the real him. There's a reason we put the word, we don't just say to know him. It's the real him. You know, A.W. Tozer, we're always quoting him, what you think about God's the most important thing about you. So if you think of him only as a God who saves souls, really has no other capability here on planet Earth, just in over his head. So he's just going to, you know, he's going to shower us with, with goodies like Santa Claus when we get to heaven. Then you're not really knowing the real him. That's the Jesus we presented, the one that says, you know, you can be the light, you can be salt, because that's who I am. There, I have uh, presence and solutions for every area of society. So... How can we, uh, what we have found just to those first two lines, to know the real him, to make the real him known, is there's some are attempting to go up their mountains and make him known without knowing him. And so we've even learned the value of knowing the nuanced version of who he is. Mm -hmm. God on the mountain of economy. How is he this God of generosity and, uh, you know, unending possibilities of producing economy you have to know you have nothing to present to others if you don't know them so she said it quickly but in in the nuance of of developing to know the real him this god who's capable of not just functioning but of blowing away with his solutions and capabilities like joseph in the old testament in the mountain of economy where he had the solution to save the nation from famine and pharaoh has to go wow the spirit of the lord is on on this man and so you, but you have to know that God and be able to reveal that God. So I didn't want to. I mean, just the, think of the, the artisans. They're the first ones scripturally that were highlighted as the Holy Spirit was on them. Yeah. And they were artists. Like they, they, they sewed things, they chiseled and they, they spent their whole lives maybe making one beautiful column in the temple, in the temple. But for years and years after that, people that would come into the temple, they experienced an aspect of God that that person knew as they chiseled and created that beauty in the temple, according to how God asked them to build the temple. It's kind of a weird example, but this, you want me to go on to the, yeah. okay, so, so another two ways that you can know that what you're doing in any given moment is connected to the kingdom is is it something that's helping you know how loved you are? Yeah. You know, you don't want to spend every moment of every day learning how loved you are by God. You know, that will be in heaven. But we certainly need to make time for it now. And if you live an entire life and you never, you know, get involved in something or do something that helps your heart know how loved you are by the Father, what where will you get the love to give other people? Yeah. And that's different for everyone. You know, some of you, you need to pull away and you need time alone with him. And others, um, you know, it might be be experiencing something, some kind of an adventure might awaken that part of your heart with God, you know, where you just feel so loved and seen by him. And then the last one is uh, to learn how to love. Is what you are doing teaching you how to love better? I mean, changing diapers. I didn't get, you know, caring for someone else in their most weakest, vulnerable state, whatever that is, emotionally, mentally, physically, um, and um, 
you know, health wise, those places of serving and loving others, they, it does something to you, but it also does something in the spirit realm. It is, it is advancing the kingdom of God in the spirit realm when we lay our lives down for someone else in love. Um, so I was just going to use just one quick last super simple example. It doesn't get more mundane than this, okay? Imagine that your job is to go every day and work at the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles, and you're someone in there, you may not even have a place of a lot of influence, but you're the one that people see after they've been waiting in line for hours, especially if you're in California, <laughs> and you know, you're aware there's, they've taken off time from work, they're frustrated, and they see your smiling face and you interact with them in a way that says, you know, you are loved, you matter. They don't need to hear I love you or God loves you or Jesus loves you. What they need to hear is that, you know, thank you for waiting. I'm sorry it took so long. You're validating them. You're saying something that they really ultimately want to hear from God. They want, they want to know in their heart of hearts if they were able to be honest with themselves that their time matters to God. And so you get to be a conduit of that reality to them in that moment. And they don't know that's God speaking to them, but it touches a place in their heart that was meant to hear that. You're important, you matter. Well, maybe if you really understood in the DMV where you work that that you have a place of influence, maybe the next time you have an opportunity to speak to your supervisors, you can become an advocate for the people that have waited way too long and say, hey, what can I do to help bring more workers into this facility so that we can have more lines and people can get in and out of here quicker so that they know we value their time? So that's kind of just a, a, a concrete, simple example that can be applied in any area that that you might find yourself no, it's working good. in. So we're just saying love isn't some you know ethereal concept or a mere feeling. It actually looks like something. You know the most famous scripture in the whole Bible, possibly still John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, and it wasn't just like you know people figured it out that He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believes in Him should not perish. So. It, there was an action that followed the reality. And so it landed somewhere. He came, he sent him, he sent him to be among, you know, a, a humanity that was in a bad condition. And he improved everywhere he went, he improved people's life. And he healed, he delivered, he brought joy, he that's set right. them free. And so that's what the kingdom call is. That's what a reformer is called, you know, bring healing to everything, to people, to individuals, to their psyche, to their soul, to the environment. Yeah. We're healers, and so we upgrade, and that's how we showcase love. Love is not just, well, I love you, and so because I love you, I'm going to beat you over the head with a bat of truth. Uh, that's what we rather do often, but we really want to, it, it it's, it's, should be picked up and discerned. The multitudes, all the multitudes in the crowds follow Jesus. The only ones that had trouble with him were the religious ones, the ones that were going to better enjoy arguing over behavior minutia yeah minutia of legalistic things and he's actually going to bring a, a a manifestation of the kingdom so number seven elizabeth with this one we're going to close a reformer must understand the role of the church on the seven mountains 
I suppose I could just jump in then. Jump you, in. You, you, and, and you could add anything on it. Sure. You know, Jesus did say in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This, this concept, we have been, it's in and out of our discussion often how Jesus, when he said, I will build my church, the word he used, the Greek word was ekklesia, and, and it was not the word we might ex, might have expected. He did not use the words that they would normally use for what we would think of as a church. He didn't say, I would build my temple. He didn't say, I will build my synagogue. He said, I will build my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the ecclesia, that the, the first part of the Greek word ek, means to come out of those who come out of their homes, basically be salt and light in society. So let your light shine before men, as opposed to inside of a building. And so when he said, uh, when he said, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about a building the way we are. He's talking about building activated living stones, reformers who show up and challenge the gates of hell that are trying to show up in their community, in their city, in their nations in a very practical way. So this is an understanding that we must have uh, if we're going to function as reformers in, in society. This is the role of the church. The church is to be one ones that are interested in showcasing the gospel of the kingdom outside the four walls of the church. It's great to have a meeting on Sunday, develop fire from God, be the volcano, but we must then show up as living stones. The volcano must erupt with the presence, power, solutions, the goodness of God in every area of society, and that is uh, the value of the church. So the church, when it functions the way it's supposed to, uh, is very, uh, very, very valuable. We, I think we had a, I don't know if it was up for discussion, we talked about the church, and so it's lost a lot of esteem in, in the world right now and in society, in the church. You know, uh, the next generation, uh, many are like churches irrelevant. And so the mm -hmm. church does become irrelevant when it doesn't understand the Reformation concept the Reformation portion of its call and assignment. And so when we don't, we, we, we don't do that, then it gets to become about rules and, and minutia and other things. But it's about showcasing this God of all life, this God of all possibilities, this God of seven mountains, seven aspects of who he is that he desires to reveal on earth. This becomes our assignment. And so the church is to be valuable. And this is where we come together and get imparted with this. We worship together. We exalt this God of all society, not just the God of, you know, the future, the immediate future as soon as he raptures us. And so uh, this is what we want to um, be aware of. One last thing, Elizabeth, this is where I should tell them, you know, statistics tell us that if a pastor or anybody's looking at his church, that only 3% of church members will ever have a role in traditional ministry. And that leaves the 97% often feeling like second-class citizens in the kingdom of God because they wrongly assume that if God really wanted to use them, he would have provided some sort of platform for them, some sort of pulpit for them on the mountain of religion. But the 97% will go with those numbers are called to then be activated. Their primary assignment is to be, um, as the church, the come out of your homes, come out of this building and show up in every area of society. And then we are the fully function, functioning church of reformers. You know, I think we're, we're going to enter an era where there's going to be a lot of focus on just being good 
and doing the right thing. And we have had uh, the church, churches for generations now that have placed so much emphasis on behavior. The temptation is going to be to, because things have gotten a lot more polarized with behavior and, you know, gender issues, sexuality, um, just a lot more in our face. The temptation is going to be to place even more emphasis within the church on correct behavior. When you're arguing, which is kind of like leadership talking about behavior all the time, is kind of the equivalent of arguing a lot about, um, you know, conviction. We know as believers that conviction only comes through the Holy Spirit. And if you've disconnected your life intentionally or unintentionally from the Holy Spirit, what chance do you have of doing or being right? You know, and so we want to just keep hammering and hammering on people, including ourselves. And I think that's a giant distraction. You know, I, I think that that's when when we talk about reformation and we talk about even the role of the church, I believe that the that the greatest role that the church can play and will play in the years and decades to come will be a hosting of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So that when people come in, they don't get a good sermon that just scares them into heaven and out of hell or scares them into disappointing this God who can't handle anybody's bad behavior. They will come into the presence of the Holy Spirit and feel conviction, which is freeing. Yeah. It's not shameful. It's freeing because with conviction comes the power to make the right choice. And the right choice is the blood of Jesus. It's the only thing that atones for sin. And, And a relationship with the Holy Spirit is the only thing that sets us up to be able to have the possibility for right behavior, for kingdom thinking, kingdom behavior. And so... All of that to say, I think that um, the role of the church is so important. It's so important. And because it's so important, the enemy has tried to to um, diminish yeah. our influence by relegating us to religion and rules. And all of that, apart from the Holy Spirit, is death. It is death. We're not giving people life. And so it doesn't mean the pendulum has to swing the other way and become churches that are, are so worldly that we, we will marry homosexuals, but surely they should feel welcome in yeah. the house of God, yeah. you know, for example. So yeah. that's I, a whole conversation that could be opened up right there. But um, let me read just one closing scripture, Elizabeth, then you yeah. go ahead and, and Lead us in, in prayer and all this. I think you're carrying something there. Uh, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This is really repeat of Isaiah 2, 2 as well. So if you wonder if this is a pipe dream, you haven't heard it before. You've heard the end of all is Jesus rapturing us and the Antichrist and the beast and whatever else being glorified in some kind of way. Uh, this, this lays out really where we're headed. Now it will come to pass in the last days, 
that the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on the top of the mountains and will be exalted above the hills and people will flow to it. Many nations will say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord. He will teach us his ways mm -hmm. and we will walk in his paths. See, that's, that's what it's Reformation kingdom. is kingdom. That's right. Ways and paths. Think of that. So ways and paths are different than a transactional prayer. So this is very biblical that and, and prophetic that we will come to a time. It's just a matter of when this is going to happen. That's why we might as well go ahead and get on the correct narrative, speaking from before. And what's the right storyline? The right storyline is we contend for a time that the rule and reign of God through his sons and daughters, Isaiah 60, arise, shine, his glory on us during dark times where nations can walk to that light that's on us as we function intentionally in that kind of way. So we understand this is where it's going and where people are blown away by his ways. Can you imagine by people uh, beginning to ask uh, about successful businesses? We bring up that again, a mountain of economy or whatever. How, how did that happen? And there is an opportunity to share how the Lord gave through a dream or whatever way he gave the, uh, you know, the, whether it's an invention, the connection, the open door, and, uh, or a new way of doing things. So ways and paths are what reformers really want to highlight, not to the detriment of souls. Souls fit in that. Here's the deal. It says many will come. Really, the Lord spoke to me and said, when you get the Reformation out through the message the way it's supposed to, they will run into the house of the Lord at a much higher rate because a lot of the way we're getting decisions for Christ is with the fear tactic of if you die tonight, you know where. And so some could be conviction, but there is a fear. Well, I better check this off. But there's another way of, uh, Jesus himself said in that very first Matthew 5 message, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine before men so they may see your good works, your ways and paths, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so it's look. so key what you're saying about good works because when people see there is brokenness, and that's what we're waking up as a generation. It's been a long time coming. It's just been like decades and decades and decades, generations and generations building to this time in history where, where we're going to be hungry for good and right and righteousness. And most people won't know to call that righteousness or call it having to do something with God or the kingdom but they will be attracted to what we know is the kingdom. And as you've said so profoundly, the king comes with the kingdom. The king comes with the kingdom. So it's okay for people to be drawn to God, but through first being drawn to the kingdom. And we're going to have to be okay with that. In fact, there are going to be those that will be advancing the kingdom, God's better ways of doing things with us who don't yet know him like we do. And we get the joy and the privilege of saying, I love how you're doing this because what I see you doing and this solution that you brought and this better way of doing this is the God that I know. And I know that he gave that to you. And that yeah. in and of itself can heal someone's 
entrance to God. Connect the final dot they hadn't connected before. Yeah. Because so many people feel disconnected from God for a variety of reasons. But when someone that they admire or respect comes to them and says, you know, this is this is like the God that I know, that heals something in their their heart to the Lord. It's so good. Um, so I want to, before I pray for you, I want to challenge you to do something. Some of you, you'll know this is for you. Um, you know, there have been people that have counseled in the past on an individual level who were struggling with lies that they believed about themselves and believed about God. And I had them do this very simple activity. And I've, I've done this many times in my life and it's brought a lot of breakthrough. I've had them write truth statements. And so basically what they would do is they would write a list of the lies that they're believing. And it's usually connected to what they feel about stuff. You right. know, I, I feel rejected. I feel blah, blah, blah. And then they would take that negative list and they would create a new list of truth. And so if it said, I feel rejected, then it, the truth statement would be, um, I am accepted. The truth is, I am accepted, and blah blah blah. Like, I'm I'm not going into the whole detail of it, right. but for comparison' sake, I'm not challenging you to do that on a personal level. I'm challenging you to do that in an area of culture that you know you are called to impact, or you would like to impact, that you feel passionate about. Maybe it's the area of culture you're currently focused on, whether it's home and family, or maybe you're already a physician and you're a doctor on the mountain of family. Maybe you're in the mountain of economy, or maybe you'd you feel called to media, but you've never done anything with it. Wherever you are with that area of culture, I want to challenge you to make a list. It might take you, you know, just kind of adding to your list over the course of several days or even weeks, all the negative things, the lies that are currently out there in that area of culture. Um, what, are, what are the lies that you're experiencing maybe in that area of culture? And then as the Holy Spirit leads you, begin to transition your list and create a list of truth statements. And in that list, I believe you're going to get more clarity than you could imagine on your role in that area of culture. It's good. Because in those places of, of what is the truth that God wants to reveal in place of that specific lie? And he'll give you solutions based on that. So I think it's a, um, a really important challenge that I'm that I'm giving you very here. good all right so let's pray. pray father we pray for um our brothers and sisters your sons and your daughters right now that are reformers those yes, that have been uh birthed into this time in history to bring change to the brokenness that surrounds us and we just we look at you and we acknowledge that the only path forward to being the church that is on the tops of the mountains that the nations will run to, the only way forward up those mountains is extreme obedience, extreme surrender, extreme um, love for you, for your church, extreme love for the enemies that surround us, 
those who have partnered with evil. And God, we acknowledge that, that we can't arrive at those places of extreme surrender and obedience and love apart from you accomplishing that in each one of our hearts. And so we give you permission right now. We pray a dangerous prayer. I give you permission to teach me how to obey radically and extravagantly, how to surrender in a radical way, how to be a conduit of this, this radical love that you poured out, Jesus, that I could be a conduit for, for that love, that kind of love. We give you permission to teach us your ways so that we can walk in your ways so that we can create well-traveled paths of your kingdom ways. That those who come after us in this, this uh, generation and those who come after us as a generation will be able to, to pick up easily in the spirit realm, this is the way, walk in it. Mm. We want your ways, Father. Yes, we do. And any place that we um, individually feel disconnect from you or distant from you or like by comparison far away from where we think we should be spiritually, we just see and recognize that lie for what it is and we say no more. We step into the fullness of our intimacy that we each were created to have with you that is not um, based on anything of our own merit or our own performance or our own doing better at anything. You paid for every bit of access that we need to our Father Jesus, and we thank you for it. And the way we worship you and honor you is by walking in it every moment. And thank you, God, that my intimacy with you looks different than Johnny's. It looks different than every single person's that's watching this and it's real and nothing can take it from me. Mm. And I declare that over each one of your hearts. Yes. Nothing can take the intimacy that you have with God because he initiated it even before you drew your first breath, before you even knew you had a need for Jesus, he initiated it. You have had the knowledge of God surrounding you from moment one. And we just declare that you are ones who are created, called, equipped. You have access to everything you need in order to reform and change the world around you. We bless you to rise. Yeah. Rise, rise, mm. shine. Let the light that is in you never, never be held back by the darkness that is around you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. See you next week. On Up for Discussion. <laughs>